You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the latest edition of Just Getting Started. I'm your humble host, Rich Eisen, fresh back from my NFL Network gig as the host of the NFL Draft in Cleveland, Ohio. And that's part of the reason why my guest this week on Just Getting Started is The Miz, the great WWE superstar himself from Parma, Ohio. He's a diehard Cleveland Brown fan. He's a diehard Ohioan. And I figured... Who better to have on this podcast telling his story, his origin story from reality show star to WWE star and telling you the backstory of just how much work he put into it to get to this spot. And hopefully you can pull something from his story and bring it to your world if you want to just get started on something new. That's what this pod's all about. So let's get started with The Miz. And joining me on Just Getting Started is somebody who I've gotten a chance to know for uh, many a moon because I played fantasy football against him, believe it or not, in Allison Chain's Fantasy Football League. And is somebody whose career I've admired quite a bit, which makes him a perfect guest for Just Getting Started. The Miz joining me here uh, with a beautiful WWE background behind him. How are you, Miz? That's how we do it. I mean, I am literally uh, getting ready for TV right now. So I'm in Tampa. I'm not even at my home studio. So I had to find a room that's actually quiet to actually do this in. But for you, anything. You know, I, I got a little little bone to pick, though. Okay. So you brought everybody for your, your St. Jude's run uh, to, to the SoFi Stadium. And they all did 40s. And I'm like, where's my invite? I want to do a 40 at SoFi Stadium just like everybody else. Well, that was part of this thing was to just throw it together last minute and then do it in such a way that people can't get enough of seeing it and they want to do it. So would you do it next year? Are you already committing yourself to running a 40-yard dash for St. Jude next year? I am 100% committed. If I can be at SoFi Stadium running a 40 uh, where the, the, the Rams play, I am totally in. And honestly... I might be able to beat some of the legends that you had. I mean, these guys are Hall of Famers. I know I can beat you. That's no doubt in my mind. I'll wear my suit and everything. I'll go. See, that's the thing is that you would have to wear a suit. I would want you in an actual suit just like me because the suit, you know, as as slow as I am, um, it does act like a parachute. It does, you know, actually keep me from running a split tenth of a second faster, which is the difference between breaking six seconds or not. And I can already see you agree with my assessment, Ms. I already see that. I, I do actually agree with that. But not only that, though, I'm wondering what kind of suit you're using. Mm. Because nowadays they have these stretch suits. Like this suit I'm wearing right now is one that you can actually run in because it actually stretches. You know, they have these amazing stretch suits. And so I'm wondering, what, what suit are you wearing? Well, is this just a regular suit that you've had customly fit to your body? Or is this a stretch fit? Yes. The last two years, I was running in Sweat Taylor um, because they were also a sponsor of the run. And this year, I threw everything together to the point where 
The fact that this rant took place at all uh, in the last, you know, two months was quite something, to say the least, to put it all together and get everybody there and raise as much money as everybody was kind enough to put in the kitty. Um, so I did not really have much sponsors lined up or anything. So I just ran in my regular Brunello Cuccinelli, perfectly, finely Italian tailored suit, Ms. <laughs> And you looked great doing it. I'll tell you what. And everyone else looked great doing it as well. And anytime you do something for such an amazing cause in St. Jude's, that's incredible every year. I, I, I honestly, I almost look more, more forward to you running the 40 than I do uh, the draft. Uh, especially this year, because to be honest, my Cleveland Browns didn't really need to do anything in the draft. Like, I was like, people were always like, dude, you know, the, the draft is in Cleveland. You should be really excited. I'm like, normally the Browns are like the first draft pick or the first five, you know, we don't have till the 26th pick. Like people are like, who do you want? I'm like, I don't know whoever's left, you know, as a quarterback. I mean, what, what am I supposed to do? I mean, this is one of the first years where I look at it and I go, we've done everything in free agency. So I'm ready for us to just go to the Super Bowl and win the damn thing. Well, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on because, you know, I just got back from Ohio and you're a Parma, Ohio kid and uh, who's done nothing but succeed from, you know, from Parma, Ohio. And 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 as I reached out to you, you know, to to be on this pod, you know, because your your story I, I'm fascinated by and that's what this is about is our origin stories and getting people to tell the way that they got started. How How did you get started? Is is MTV the beginning or is there another origin story that we need to know about, about how you got started on your career path and the life that we we now know as The Miz? I mean, MTV was definitely my start into the entertainment world, but I've always been a huge WWE fan ever since I was a kid. I had every action figure. Every time we would go to Toys R Us, I would beg my parents to get me the new one that came out. Like, I need the new Ultimate Warrior. You got to get it for me, Mom, please. You know, give me some face paint so I can paint my face like the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, look at these streamers. I could use them as armbands like the Ultimate Warrior can. Like, that was me as a child. I was an absolute loon. But when I went to college, Miami of Ohio, I looked at my life and I was, you know, I was, I was a business major. Because uh, that's what you do when you're done with high school. You go to college. You, I didn't know what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. So I went into business classes, was doing terrible in them, and saw a tryout for the real world. And I was like, I would love to do this show. Oh, my God. To travel to some city, live with seven strangers, learn about the city of different cultures, different everything. It was like my favorite show on TV. And so when I saw that there was an opportunity to try out, I did. And what a lot of people don't know is when you try out, it's not just you try out and all of a sudden you make it. There's so many different rounds. Like the first round is you send in your tape, videotape. So I had this VHS tape uh, that I would record everything on and I put a, a cord into it, into my VHS recorder and press play, record, play, record to edit because we didn't have Apple editing as we do now of days where it's a lot easier to edit things. So then after that, three weeks later, I did, uh, I got like a 50 page application asking everything and anything about my life, sent that back. Then, uh, we had to put this VHS recorder and put a speakerphone and the people would ask us questions and we would have to talk to them like we were talking to them. Like we are right now on zoom, but we didn't have zoom back then, you know, we had, you know, a VHS tape. And then I'd have to take that VHS tape and send it to him. And then after that, I had another one of those 
And then after that, I had an in-person interview with one of their casting directors. And from there, we went to Palm Springs, where I met 28 hopefuls. Uh, and they were going to pick 13, seven to go on the real world, six to go on road rules. And I was lucky enough to be one of those 13 people chosen. I'll never forget when Mary Elspunum and John Murray picked me. And I know for a fact, I would not be where I am today if they didn't do that and give me that opportunity because my mindset was completely different back then. Well, I mean, you also wouldn't be where you are if you had, you know, not stuck to sending tapes and all that stuff. Did you at any point think, what the hell am I doing this for? I don't really have a shot. Oh yeah. Everyone was telling me that like all my friends and in, in family, like they're like, you're not going to make it 60,000 people try out. What's going to stand you out. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen to, 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 to people, you know, it just, it just doesn't happen to us. And it did. Cause I just kept, kept going for it. And, uh, and when I made it, they were all like, whoa, like that's not supposed to happen. And then it started made me, making me realize that like, even when people tell you that you can't do something and that it's just because they can't believe they can't do it themselves, doesn't mean that you can't. That's fascinating to me. It really is. Cause that's such a major aspect of why I wanted to start this pod is the number of times that people can just sit there and think, you know what, there's really no shot. And then they could just say that they kind of gave it a try or didn't really give it that much of a try, but at least tell themselves that they did. And that it does take an actual, you know, certain determination. And obviously you've had that ever since you even got accepted uh, to that opportunity and have made like, look, look what you're right now. I mean, do you ever sit back and wonder what the hell your whole journey has been like? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, you know, right now, WWE has a documentary on me that just came out on Peacock called WWE 24, The Miz. And it was the first time that I sat down and talked about my entire career in totality. And it wasn't The Miz, it was Mike. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I did an interview where it wasn't spliced in of The Miz and Mike. It was just me talking, being honest and raw about my career. And it made me start realizing like, wow, I've, I've really done a lot of great things in my life. Like when I set out to do something, like why it happened. And I'm starting to realize why it happened. It's because I'm just relentless at everything I do. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be great. Before I got on this podcast, I literally was like, all right, I want this to be amazing. I want this to be great. Just because I don't know. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I'm wired. And I'll sacrifice everything to get to where I need to be. And a lot of people will, like you were saying, will say, yeah, I want to do this and I'll try it. And they'll try it for a week. And when it gets hard, they stop because it got hard. It, it like with WWE, like I remember going to my first, um, this was before WWE. I moved from, so when I got off the real world, I started doing those challenges and started making t-shirts, my own t-shirts, by the way. Because I saw that if you're a WWE superstar, oh man, like if they see that I, people are buying my own t-shirts and I have my own website that people are going to to buy these t-shirts and these t-shirts are on TV, that maybe they'll see me and go, oh, this guy can sell. He has a character. He has a fan base. Let's sign him up. And that wasn't the case. So I moved to Los Angeles, started on an independent wrestling scene. Uh, I started training with Ultimate Pro Wrestling, UPW, was an independent wrestling scene at the time, to learn the art of professional wrestling. But not only that, I moved out to L.A. to get an acting classes because I knew that was a tool 
that I would need for WWE. Then I had improv classes with Improv Olympics and the Groundlings because I knew those improv skills would be needed because it's a live audience. It's one take. I know that is with WWE. So I'm lining up all these tools to get to make sure that I can be successful in WWE. And was it hard? Absolutely. I moved away from everything I knew. I, I knew Cleveland, Ohio. That's all I knew. I knew my, I had my family, I had my friends, I had my core nucleus there yeah. and I moved away from them and I was broke. When you're on the real world, you want to like live the life, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm filming, you know, you're spending all your money, maxing out all your credit cards because you think that they pay for everything. They don't like they want it to be real. What's real in life. So I was broke when I moved to L.A. And I was just trying to, and then finally I won a challenge that gave me enough money to where I could, you know, I, I invested in myself. I, I didn't go buy a new car or go buy new clothes. No, I, I invested in a wrestling school, acting classes and improv classes, a dietitian and a gym membership, because those were all the things that I needed to make sure that I could still do it. And then I was selling t-shirts on the side. And so it was just one of those things that I wasn't going to be told no. So anybody um, who did actually make it into comedy that you were you were in the Groundlings with, that you were there? Michaela Watkins was my teacher and she was on SNL. Okay. She did a season of SNL. And, she's, and by the way, she's in a bunch of like, like she's an actress in a ton of like sitcoms. She's always like every season I see her on a new sitcom. And she was fantastic. She was great. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When did the WWE finally come knocking? When did this whole master plan that you had that I guess started from having the action figures you're begging your mother for as the kid in Parma, Ohio, when did it actually come true? When did that lightning strike for you? I would say about three and a half years later of training, being on reality shows after reality shows, telling everybody that I could possibly tell that I wanted to be a WWE superstar. Finally, uh, I got a call from the Tough Enough people and said, hey, do you want to try out for Tough Enough? And if you know what Tough Enough is, Tough Enough is WWE's reality show where you could win a contract to be a WWE superstar. But here's the kicker. Like I tried out to be on Tough Enough and they wouldn't let me because Tough Enough used to be on MTV and Real World was on MTV and the challenges were on MTV. And back then you couldn't intermix all those different things. Like back then it was a whole different world. Like nowadays you look at, you know, reality TV, everything's a reality show, Instagram, YouTube, you know, TikTok. I know exactly what the biggest movie star in the world is doing because I can go on his Instagram and see it. It's interesting to me, you know, when you look at things like how they progress, like look at the world we live in nowadays, like everything is a reality show. Everyone is on a reality show. Everyone knows what everyone's doing. And when I was on a reality show, that wasn't the case. You weren't, you weren't applauded and, and loved and liked in Hollywood. As a matter of fact, I couldn't even get into a room to audition because they didn't want you. You were a no good, nothing hack 
of a talent that can just be on TV and have a camera pointed at them and be entertaining. And so WWE wasn't calling. And I wasn't allowed to do Tough Enough because it was different back then. And then Tough Enough went on to the CW. And they were like, hey, since it's on CW, you can try out now. So I tried out 50 contestants. And I made, I think, the top eight. And then I was the runner-up. I didn't win, but it was by audience reaction. And if anyone knows anything about me with WWE, I've always been a very good person to hate. And uh, uh, I've always been a bad guy. So, you know, uh, I looked at that as, honestly, a blessing in disguise. And it was funny. So in the WW24 doc, they showed me doing an interview that I've never seen before. No kidding. And it was like, man, it would have been really great to be, have a WWE contract. And the bonus, I mean, obviously the bonus to, to win a million dollars, but I really wanted that contract. And in my head, I'm going, a million dollars? You could have won a million dollars? And all you're talking about is a contract for WWE? Like, I was like, wow. Like, even back then, my mindset wasn't about the money. I saw the career. And it wasn't about the money. And that's what you need to find when you're looking for a job. Like, I imagine you love what you do. You can tell you love what you do, Rich. Like, you love interviewing people. You love talking about sports. You enjoy it. It's just, it's something that you do. Like, and so with me, I love being a WWE superstar. I love going out there each and every week. Granted, right now, there isn't a live audience, but I love hearing the live reaction to an audience and hearing them and feeling them and getting that initial response. There's nothing quite like it anywhere else. You know, and it, it you could see it, you know, I'm just talking to you in the few times that I've gotten to be in the same room as you and talking to you. It's, you could see you're like living your best life, man. You friggin' made it like you did it. And now here, here you are like with WWE uh, backdrop behind you, getting ready to shoot raw. What, what's your favorite story that you can share that you might not tell often, but your favorite, like of, of, of your, are we talking about WWE or like, as like, honestly, if you're talking about my favorite lifetime stories, it's, it'd be with my kids. Sure. Like I, I love being a dad. Like I enjoy being around my daughters each and every day. Uh, my daughter, my one and a half year old right now, my favorite thing is when she wakes up in the morning and she goes, da, 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 da. And then she'll show me her baby, which is as big as her, like the baby's big as her. Yeah. And she'll pick it up. And if she drops it, and I'm holding her. She'll go, baby, baby, baby. And she'll hold it. And then I'll watch her. Like when I tuck her in at night, she'll hold the baby like this. And I'm like, oh, it just, there's some, something magic about it. Like yesterday, I took my daughter golfing, right? Yeah. And uh, I take her all the time. She's three. Monroe is three. Madison is one and a half. And oh my God, it is. It's, it's amazing to watch her like being out. Like some people are like, well, what do you like? to bring her golfing for because there's bunnies everywhere and she likes to see the bunnies hop. And so we'll go, be really quiet, be really quiet. Just go, okay, okay, okay. And we try to sneak up on the bunnies and just watch them and see them. And then right now there's tadpoles in, in uh, the ponds. And so she'll see the tadpoles and they're turning into frogs. And it's like, you can just educate her and see the, 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 the eyes like widen and go, oh wow, tadpoles. And then, or the duckies and the baby duckies. And so we'll go home and she'll tell her mom all these little stories about golf. And guess what? I get to play my favorite sport, which is golf. It's a win-win situation for all of us. Tiger started at three on the yeah. Mike Douglas show with Bob Hope. Swinging it as a three-year-old. So, you know, putting the stick in your daughter's hand at age three, never know, man. Yeah, I mean, she, she swings it like a hockey stick. I, I feel like she gets it from my wife because my wife's Canadian. 
but uh, I've been trying to teach her. She wants to do it on her own, so I'll let her hit the ball on her own. It's it's honestly one of the, the best things that I have. I mean, you talk about your best stories, and I don't know a parent that wouldn't have their best story have their kids in it. No question. I agree with you. You know, I got three. I got a uh, 12, 10, and a 7, and you know, uh, trying to be present is definitely a challenge, but it's also a blessing too, you know? Um, but I guess from your world wrestling, uh, experience, your WWE experience, what would it be where you were maybe in the crowd? And I mean, you know, with the crowd around you, something happening, you got a good one behind the scenes, even preparing, meeting somebody, you got a good one, man. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it would be like uh, anytime I was with my wife. So we, uh, Maurice and myself, we actually met in WWE. The first time I ever saw my wife ever was on camera. And you could see when she walks in, my mouth is dropped because she is just exudes just beauty and power and charisma. And she couldn't speak any English. But you knew something was there. Like, you know, she was trying out for a diva search and I was a host slash judge. And uh -huh. it was incredible. And then to see from there, like our first interaction to being in a WWE ring where she was by my side and we made the Intercontinental Championship, which at the time was a title that the person, whoever holding it would always get beaten. It was kind of beaten and it wasn't. It wasn't the prestigious title that I remember as a kid. It was just a side title that was just there to hold and be grandiose. And so our goal was to set out to make it the most prestigious, relevant title in all of WWE. And those two years with her by my side, you know, were the best in my opinion, because I mean, anytime you're in a Speedo, you're half naked in front of your wife, you know, you're going to show off a little bit, you know? So, I mean, that's all I was doing is just like I was showing off for my wife to, to hopefully thinks that I was sexy and just a, a badass and, a you know, beating up people like, let's go. And uh, and so it all came into uh, where we actually were a tag team partners at WrestleMania. And uh, and I remember going out in the ramp. And looking at her and she was right in front of me. And I was like, man, how did I get her? Like, how did, how, how did I get someone like her? So smart, beautiful, confident. I remember, I remember the first time we, uh, I asked her out, like, I mean, it wasn't even on a date. It was like after the show, everyone goes out after the show to get something to eat, to talk about the show. So I invited her and we ended up staying in a parking lot. And I remember driving, and we, we, were, we were driving back to the hotel and I go, pull over, pull over, pull over. And we pull over and we go into this, <laughs> this sex toy shop because <laughs> I wanted her to know that I didn't want to be in the friend zone with her, you know? That's a way. Like, By the way, hey, that's, 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 that's an indication. Time. That's an indication. Yeah. That's what, that's one way yeah, to work. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not subtle. I'm not subtle. <laughs> so I think I freaked her out a little bit okay. uh, when we went in there because like as soon as we walk in, there's like mannequins with like ball gags and like things all around. And I'm like, maybe this wasn't the smartest idea, but I will say this. Yes. We walked out out of, of there like three minutes later because she was not having it. She goes, this is too weird. And we ended up talking for like three hours before our flight. And then we just drove to the, our flights, went our separate ways. 
And I remember going to Barnes and Noble that day and getting a French speaking book to learn how to speak French because we didn't have apps back then. Right. And, uh, and I remember asking, telling myself like, if, if I could only get a girl like this, I'd be really happy. And then cut to me and her as husband and wife walking down the, the ramp at WrestleMania tagging together. Like that's surreal. That doesn't happen. No, that's like incredible. Now you got your own show with her too. I know, Ms. and Mrs. Uh, Mondays on the USA Network, eleven ten Central, right after Raw. It's it's honestly it's it's our baby. We love this show. It brings our family together. Like the only time my dad wants to hang out with me is if we're filming. Uh, I'll even ask him, "Hey, you want to come over for like a holiday?" He's like, "Nah, that's all right." Are you filming? And I, if I say yes, he'll be like, "Yeah, I'm over." But if I say no, he's like, "Nah, I'll wait till you're filming." But uh, but yeah, like it's it, it brings our family closer together, and we're finding new things about. Like for instance, this season, my mom and Marjo are are want to get out there again. Like they want to find a companion. Like my mom and hasn't been out on a date in probably twenty years. So we kind of help them out. But honestly, Maurice and I have been out of the game for a very long time as well. We don't understand the swipe right, swipe lefts. We don't have to sliding into DMs, these whole things. Like my mom's teaching me stuff that I'm like, I don't want to hear about this. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what's going on on the Ms. and Mrs. out front. I guess before I send you off to your day with Raw, let's talk about your Browns. Let's talk about them. We're going to the Super Bowl, Rich. We're going to the Super Bowl. We were going to the Super Bowl before the draft, and now we've picked up everything that we slightly needed. Like, we needed a cornerback because sometimes our cornerbacks get injured, so we got ourselves a cornerback. We got ourselves a safety. Linebackers, check, check, check. Like, we got – you know what? We have two A-plus running backs, and we were like, you know what? Let's add another. And let's add the fastest guy at the combine at wide receiver. Let's add him too. Let's just throw them in the mix. And then, by the way, I saw like a uh, a tweet out from Des Bryant yesterday going uh, uh, ACL, like what happened to uh, Odell's ACL? Because Odell Beckham was literally training and he is fast, like real fast. I don't know if you saw that video, but he looks fast. And I'm like, wait a second. So Odell's still fast. We got Jarvis. We got Hooper. We got Hunt, we got Chubb, Baker's an uh, all-star. I mean, what else do you want? And then we have all these draft picks. I'm ready to go. And you got the right coach. And here's the thing, too. The, the, the crazy thing is 11 wins last year. First playoff win since Belichick's the coach. You, I mean, that game against the Steelers, you must have lost your mind. So we went to the playoffs, and that's, that's, that's one thing, right? To go to the playoffs is one thing. To win in the playoffs now, not only do you know how to get to the playoffs, you know how to win in the playoffs. Now it's figuring out how to get to the Super Bowl. That's the next step. And I think this year is that next step. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Like you said, you wanted to run at SoFi for my charity at the very beginning of this podcast. How about running in SoFi after the Browns win the Super Bowl? In it? How about that? I'm in. I'm in. I'll have my suit ready. It'll be a Cleveland Browns suit and I'll be ready to go. I will be sprinting. If I if I pull a hammy, so be it. Whatever doesn't matter. What the hell? <laughs> Certainly, if the Browns had won in the building, have you ever met Baker? Have you ever met Baker? Maker? Uh, I've never met Baker. No, I've met Jarvis. Who honestly, when uh, Jarvis and Miles Garrett, and both of them, I, just from a standpoint, like we were doing a, I don't know if you remember, but uh, like Bud Light did the uh, 
Brown's coolers. Oh yeah. Like if they won a game, the cool, the thing chains would drop. So the next year they were selling them and I was the, the, the car, the used car salesman selling them for their commercial and Jarvis and miles came out and man, you could just sense the leadership and the, the pride that they have for that city. And, uh, I told, uh, they, the Browns were like, Hey, what Jersey do you want this year? I go, I want Jarvis Landry. 100%. That's how much he impressed me. Uh, he became my new favorite player just because of the demeanor, uh, what we talked about, like I didn't talk to Miles as much as I talked to Jarvis. It just didn't end up that way. But just speaking with him, I was like, this guy is a locker room leader. And you can tell this guy can really change a locker room. And he believes in everything that he says. And again, I know you're traveling. You're doing a lot with your kids. I don't know if you saw Miles Garrett announce the pick at the draft. He was in this in this velvet like suit. I mean, just like he is, he was like, I think he leaned, I think, I think he was flexing as he leaned over the podium. He was like literally he need the flex. Hulk. It's just there. It's just, it's I, just muscles upon muscles. <laughs> and not only that, like, I think he's going to be defensive player of the year. And now that now with, you know, having someone else on the other end, you know, I think they can't double team him anymore. And he's just going to be absolutely clowny. insane. So they got clowny too. I mean, dude, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dude. Like, they, they are literally stacked. They can't double-team Garrett anymore, and it's going to be – I feel sorry for any quarterback in the AFC North. All right. Um, again, I appreciate you doing this, uh, especially on a day where you're shooting raw. And, um, you know, I, I, I before you leave, what would you say to somebody who is listening to this, learning your story maybe for the first time? Obviously, fans of yours are familiar with how you did – get on TV, but not maybe the stick to itiveness and how you were of single mindedness to get where you are. And then from where you are, you meet your wife and your children are essentially uh, 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 here on the planet with your wife due to your determination for all these years. So what do you say to somebody who's like wondering if they need some sort of push to get started on something? What do you say? I've, I've given this advice to uh, a couple of my friends who were like, yeah, I you know, I want to do this. And I go, okay, what are the tools that will get you? So first off, figure out what you want in life. What do you want? That's what you need to answer. If you can't answer that question, then what are we doing here? Like, what do you want? What will make you happy? What will make you smile each and every day? Then find the tools that can allow you to do whatever you want successfully. So what did I do? I wanted to be a WWE superstar. What are the tools that will get me there? Wrestling school, that will teach me the techniques. Acting classes, because let's face it, it, you need a character. You need to figure all those things out. Improv classes, we're live. You get one take and you got a live audience in front of you. You never know what's going to happen. I need to have the correct athletic build. I need to make sure that I'm working out. I need a nutritionist to make sure that I'm eating the correct foods to, to make sure that I'm able to perform at a top level each and every day. Those are the tools that I find. So find the tools that you need to do whatever you want successfully. You're a good man, Miz. Thanks for doing the pod. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you always. Uh, you know, having me come on and I always love what you do with St. Jude's. It's Thanks. Amazing. And then you were so supportive. I mean, you, you were, you actually told an entire arena filled with people. This was two years ago before pandemic and everything. You you got out there and you told everybody to start donating to Run Rich Run. I forget where you exactly were, but you were in full character and you got up there and you said it to a full arena of people. And it put my 
it put, you know, your platform is so huge. Um, and I appreciate you lending it to this show too. Appreciate it. Always, man. Always for a good cause. I appreciate it. That's The Miz, everybody. And he's just such a big personality, big hearted guy. You know that he plays a heel or as he said, people who they love to hate him throughout his career. Um, and he's just the exact opposite. And always giving, like I said, that he uh, what he did a few years ago, telling his fans in, a, in an arena, I think it was in Minnesota or something like that, packed. There he is in his full get up and outfit, just telling everybody, hey, go to NFL.com slash run rich run for St. Jude. Like he had the whole spiel, all the details for my for my run and how you can donate to St. Jude. And by the way, it still works. NFL.com slash run rich run where I run my 40 yard dash um, in support of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we just aired the finale on the NFL draft. Usually it's done at the NFL combine in February, but because that got canceled due to COVID this year, we ran at SoFi Stadium at Hollywood Park, the home of the Rams and the Chargers in this year's Super Bowl, as the Miz was referring to to start this podcast. He's so giving. And uh, if you want to give, please do. We're raising money as much as we can for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Still go there. And his story about how he just stuck to it uh, to get on MTV, the real world, and what he did from that. So many people just assume that, you know, fame will just come find you after that, as opposed to still having a plan of what to do with your fame. Um, It's an important thing, um, for everyone to, to recognize that even if what you do put your mind to and just assuming that you are successful at it, that more success will follow. And that's not true. It just means you got to put in more hard work to be successful and get it bigger and better and not sleep, not just rest on some sort of a laurel that you got to the spot where you want to go or you feel like you need to go, that there is still a master plan. There's still a greater plan. And his plan was to join the WWE, which he eventually got to do. And he never wavered from it. And it's a good thing because there's two little babies on the planet, his daughters, that exist due to his determination. And, you know, I think that about my three kids sometimes, that I met my wife in the newsroom at ESPN in the mid to late nineties, when I got there in 1996, she, she was there just a few months later as a producer. And then she started her on-air career after that. But, you know, the number of times that I thought to myself, do I really have it in me to get a TV job? Like, how do I go about it? What should I do? Um, I know I'm going to be up against a million people getting doors slammed in my face by news directors. They don't want to give me a job. They don't think that I'm good enough or the opportunity isn't there. And how do I follow up on that? And I've always constantly worked at it, even after 25 years of being in, in the business. This podcast is an example of trying to diversify and talk about subject matters that I don't uh, usually talk about, certainly on NFL Network. Or even my daily show every day, which you can get in podcast form. So, yes, I'll even self-promote while on another podcast. But to continue to have a plan and continue to work at it, the number of times where I could have just said, you know what, I don't know if I have it in me to continue on to get my first TV job and succeed at it. And once there, how do I continue to work at it to get where I wanted to go, which was ESPN and sent a tape to a headhunter under the category of why not? All it is, is just first class postage. Somebody saw it 
and followed up on it. And it was like I got struck by lightning. It was a lottery ticket. But it was all about the residue of design of me continuing and having a singularity of focus and not resting on any laurels. And to hear The Miz tell that story about how many hoops he had to run through just to get his first opportunity and how many hoops he jumped through and how many plans that he had after that first opportunity to get the one that he always wanted. And then being told he couldn't try out for a show that he knew would actually potentially lead to where he wanted to go and getting lucky. So it changed hands and thus he was able to actually try out for it and trying out, even though he'd already had some success. I couldn't be more impressed and I'm so glad and thrilled that I was able to bring his story to you on this podcast. My last podcast, Pat McAfee, the ones before that, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and Harlan Coben, having Soledad O'Brien and Matthew McConaughey was my first guest. It's uh, It's been a nice uh, first couple of months of just getting started. Bill Burr, the comedian, go check that out. You can go to the Rich Eisen Show YouTube page, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show to see Just Getting Started. The entire podcast is placed right there at youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. And also right here where all podcasts are acquired, just download us, hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star rating because so many of uh, the distributors of podcasts see it, recognize it, and allow us to continue to do this. So we've got some great guests coming in the pipeline. Can't wait to bring those to you. But that's it for this episode of Just Getting Started.